this week on Dig Me Out. You can't trust me. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, what is that background on your Zoom? Is that the, the elm, elm cover? The Elm cover, but for some reason it's flipped backwards. Let me work well, it's so, it's, it's so that when I see it, it's... It's correct. Oh, is it right for you? Yeah. Okay. Because like when I look at my screen, it says my shirt says it backwards. That's very exciting for the people listening on audio. <laughs> <laughs> if you were a patron, you'd be able to see. That's right. We now are exclusive to Zoom. We've moved over from Skype, which we used for nine years after leaving. It took us uh, a year of, uh, of um, Apple chat to ditch that back in Mm -hmm. 2011. Then we moved to Skype and then now we have officially transitioned over to zoom and we're recording not only the audio, but for our patrons we're recording the video so that people can see the cool backgrounds that Jay uses for (laughs) our episodes. No, 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 no. (laughs) The the back, the background everybody wants to see is our guest today. That's right. Exquisitely curated uh, CD bookcase and the album cover on display. Right. And he's just a little off center, which gives a nice composition too. I really appreciate that. Right. It's like a, it's like an episode of Mr. Robot. It's ex, <laughs> it's a nice uh, compositional shot there, uh, taking him out of center. And welcome, Johnny Hooper. Welcome back. How are you? Reunited and it feels <laughs> so good. Great to be here, guys. Now, of course, people are going to know Mr. Hooper from such previous episodes, there's been a, there's been more than a few. There's been our Modest Mouse Roundtable, our Producers of the '90s Roundtable, our Nirvana in Utero episode. Was that your suggestion last year? Yes, sir. And then you joined us for Albums of 2019 when we uh, did a roundtable of new releases from the year, and then our N- Albums of 1990 Roundtable at the beginning of this year, and then our giant uh, extravaganza for episode 500, our Nirvana Nevermind episode that we did back uh in august jay that was only like two months ago i felt felt like we did that three years ago yeah this has been the longest year of our life yes it has there's no doubt about it so let's get to it our patrons here that means he has selected an album for this episode uh, Johnny, tell everyone the record you have chosen and why you picked it. I have chosen Built to Spill's 1997 record entitled Perfect From Now On. And I have chosen it simply because I feel like it's one of the 90s finest guitar rock records. I never stop listening to this record. It's just bathed in gorgeousness, and I hope everybody else loves it as much as I do. Now, Jay, this is not our first uh, dance with Built to Spill. A few years back, we did Keep It Like a Secret, 
and was so it a you few have, years back? Uh, I don't know. You want to you want to check the numbers on that? I, I, I want to check say, that out. I want to say it was twenty eighteen. Maybe it was twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen feels like forty five years ago. So I, I know. <laughs> I, it's either I 2018 it or 2019. Probably, or if it was a 2019, it had to have been. It was episode uh, 406. Okay. I don't have the date. Okay. Well, doing my math, if we did 500 this year, that would have been over 100 episodes. So that would have been, and we do 52 per year. So roughly 2018, I'm going to say, like end of yeah. 2018. Yep. So, had you actually listened to this record, uh, Perfect From Now On, or is this new to you? Um, I knew Untrustable. Um, I don't know why. I know that song, but I hadn't listened to the rest of the record. Okay. And that I knew this track on this record. I knew this pretty well. I'm not going to lie. Like this, basically this and, and Keep It Like a Secret were in heavy rotation for a while. Not when they came out, but uh, in the 2000s. Mutual friend Mark was a big Built to Spill fan, and he told me about this. You know this band. I think I first heard of them because a friend of ours covered one of their songs from the record before this, um, "Big Dipper," which is on the album "There's Nothing Wrong with Love." The band Templeton in Columbus uh, covered that. Do you remember that, Jay? Or do you do you have no recollection of what I'm talking about? No, I don't remember them. <laughs> I mean, I remember the band. I don't remember them covering. Yeah, it was either the band or or Christian, their lead singer, covering it himself when he did. Uh, also, he did uh, Def Leppard's Foolin' was one of his covers. But I digress because uh, that is obscure local history. Yeah. Def Leppard and Built to Spill. Yeah, they pair well together. Lots of guitar stuff. Uh, yeah. So I knew these records pretty well. And... Gave up listening to Built to Spill on the next record. Like I heard, uh, what is that? Ancient Melodies of the Future? Is that the next one? Yep. Yeah, that's that's when I was like, I'm out. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> so I've sampled some of the records here and there, and it, and it has like none of them have connected with me the way that uh, those records, early records did. That was a mature hot take, Tim. Thank you. Hey, I got limited time. I got to move on. If something doesn't connect with me, boom, I'm out the door. I'm checking out the next thing. You know, you get 30 seconds on Spotify, then I move. Then I move on. I'm a I candle in the wind. Um, so let's talk a little bit history of this record. We won't do the whole band history since we probably covered that already. <clears throat> but this came out in January of 1997 on Warner Brothers. It was produced by Phil Eck, who was a producer for a, a number of records with uh built to spill here's the interesting tidbit it was recorded three times so here's what happened it was originally recorded basically with doug march the lead singer and guitarist playing all the instruments except drums and he worked with phil Ack. they didn't like the way it sounded so they brought in brett nelson who was a high school friend of um doug march's and then scott paloof I think that's how you made Scott Plute or Loof. I don't know if the P is silent. Anyway, he was in a band called the Spinays. Is it the Spinays, Johnny? Is that how you say it? Spinanes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, he played drums, and then they had a lot of other uh, guest musicians like 
Brett Netson, Brett Netson, not Brett Nelson. Nel- Brett Netson plays guitar on five of the songs. John McMahon plays cello on four or five of the songs. Robert Roth plays Mellotron on three songs. Peter Lansdow plays drums on Made Up Dreams. And uh, it was, like I mentioned, produced by Phil Eck, produced or mastered by Howie Weinberg, the uh, one of those big time producers, since this was on Warner Brothers. So the second time they recorded it, Phil Eck was driving from like the studio back home and he had him in his pickup truck and it was really hot and the tapes melted. So then they had to go and record the album a third time. Oh my. And when they were done, you know, they were pretty sick of these songs and (laughs) Doug Marsh didn't really want to tour for this record. He just wanted to move on. They, I think they did play some shows, but that's why Keep It Like a Secret came out, um, you know, two years later uh, after a short touring period. And then I think they did they, they did a three month tour and that was it to support the uh, the record. Can um, I interject here, Tim? Yeah. Did you take that history off of uh, Wikipedia? Yeah. Why? Uh, I read the same. And uh, so in regards to the. Um, the second attempt and the tapes being ruined. Uh, I've gone back and read a, an old interview with uh, Marsh. And in that interview, it's um, alluded to that the, the second uh, run through was ruined in the editing deck. Oh, okay. Okay. And that seems to be the actual story. Interesting. But I read what you read too. That was also in the, I read the pitchfork did a like revisitation of the record. Right. And I read that. I think it was from like three or four years ago. And they also mentioned about it, them burning up in his car. So they must have pulled that information from, from Wikipedia. Gotcha, Pitchfork. Gotcha. Exactly. Not not doing the deep uh, uh, journalistic uh, research there, mm-hmm. just like us. Um, so we did get some comments over at Patreon about this record, which we will share the voting results at the end of the show, but... Some of the comments were Kyle Bittner said, amazing album. David Gorgo said, I always wondered how Warner's felt about this getting delivered an absolute masterpiece with no singles. The seven inch I have is one song split into two sides, (laughs) which makes sense because there isn't a single song that would fit on one side of a 33 uh, seven inch single. I guess if you if you slowed it down, you might be able to, but not on a 33 and a third record or not 33 or 45 yeah it would be a 45 what would be the if you wanted to slow it down you you would make it a 33 right how does that work how does vinyl work jay if i have that right well it'd be 33 revolutions per minute as opposed to 45 let me see so that would be less revolutions okay. meaning it's less lower okay, okay. i was still so would if I'm going 33 <laughs> miles an hour, you're saying that that's slower than 45 miles an hour. That's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Now, don't ask me what that is in kilometers. Johnny will have to help us. With yes. That. If can I 30... just say it's brilliant at any speed? 
Um, Mike Bond said one of the most, one of the best alternative rock albums of the nineties, the songwriting guitars and vocals all sound incredible and built to spill managed to make things sound both simple and complex at the same time. An essential album, in my opinion, Willie Dillon, this is one of the best indie rock albums ever made. There are so many beautiful sounds here and the guitar playing and tones have so much feeling in them, though. That's pretty typical with built to spill. The songs are long, so I don't know how Tim and Jaybird will respond <laughs> to the Jaybird. Nobody's ever called Jay Jaybird. Only I, my I estranged all... cousin had called me Jaybird. <laughs> Is Willie your estranged cousin? No, I, that's the last person that called me that. Okay, <laughs> uh, we'll respond to that, but it is somewhat typical for built to spill. They kind of write songs that are multiple songs in one. I saw them live back when they were touring as a five piece. and was probably the best show I've seen from a Sonic perspective. And then a Johnny Hooper must be your doppelganger said, Mm -hmm. what can I say? Guitars, melodies, heartfelt lyrics, dynamic production, and lush soundscapes. Simply one of the nineties finest, Oh, did I mention I selected it? That's you. Okay. <laughs> so if this is one of the finest records in the 90s, how will Jay dismantle it? Let's find out. Jay. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Why am I so, suddenly the villain? Because you have taken down Slint. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you have taken down. Um, what else have you taken down? There's got to be other ones. You are the you are the um, the Simon Cowell of this uh, of this podcast. I'm oh, no. you know I'm I'm Paula. I'm I'm all about the positivity. I'm cheering them on, and you are uh, you are the um, the fly in the ointment. Oh, I don't want to be a I don't want to be a parody <laughs> a character. Okay, so let's do it. Let's talk about the record. What one thing you liked about it, Jay? One thing you liked about Perfect from Now On by Built to Spill. Well, anytime I can hear a uh, guitar-oriented record that is really original and unique is exciting. So, you know, the, most times they have what I hear is three guitars going on, um, which I think is interesting. And that seems to be like what one main guitar player in the band um, consistently. Um, and there's a looseness to it that is not like usually when you say music is lush um or layered which this is um it usually is not or typically i don't think of it as being like over like loose or organic live sounding but the sounds very live there's something about like the slight syncopation between the drums and the guitar um and then the way that the guitars are layered that make it sound i guess a bit spontaneous um it's uh, pretty consistently through the record. Um, so a lot of these guitar parts are, it's, it's hard to believe that, that they could record this three times, like, and be able to, I would imagine they would sound very different, uh, the different recordings, because it just sounds so like in the moment. And again, that's, if you say a guitar oriented record, that's lush, I don't necessarily think you, at least my brain wouldn't automatically kind of go to a more like live spontaneous feel other than maybe if it was like a jam band which this is not really a jam band so it's like in this really interesting place um that you know uses guitar in the 
in the I think the best way. I mean, why it's such a brilliant, brilliant instrument, why some people respond to it, why I respond to it, and that it's so emotive. It can be a lot of different sounds tonally, so they cover a spectrum of all kinds of like clean sounds that use either fuzz and or like very specific effects, delays and tremolos to really shake it up to make it sound, you know, dramatically different and to um, create different soundscapes. So there's just a lot of exploration on, you know, what you can do sonically with a guitar, but not to the point where it's like, you know, there's never any like heavy distortion, you know, to get really fuzzy. Um, and there's never like a ton of like acoustic-y guitar. It's sort of all in this middle space of cleaned fuzzy tones. And then the way that this, the parts are broken up, there's kind of a formula. You start to hear like there's a main guitar part and then there'll be like a slidey part that is kind of like this um, almost um, like a melody in the background or atmospheric. And then there can be some, you know, picked parts um, that are panned. So you just get this nice formula that carries the record through of like how these three, you know, kind of guitar parts are used um, to create, you know, the, the meat of the songs. And then I think the other thing that really stood out to me that I hadn't really thought of with this band was just the use of extra instruments. So like I think track one and a couple other tracks, they use a, what I think is a synth um, pretty heavily. Um, there's quite a bit of strings on this as well. Mm-hmm. cello or some kind of like mellotron or something yeah there's a mellotron on uh, a number of the songs and yeah. um doug marsh plays moogs and um scott ploof plays piano yeah on a number of the songs so that brings like another dimension to not only have you the three guitar parts but then they're what i hear is like the songs are mixed so that they almost like go back and forth between like this intimate sound that focuses maybe more on the strings or the cello or like the other instruments. And then it'll expand out to get more of the full volume guitar mix. So by tweaking all those things, you know, you get a ton of variety on this record. It's quite a journey. I would say, you know, these songs tend to be fairly long, so they can feel like different songs kind of put together in almost one stream of consciousness. And, and part of that is um, the dynamics of how they mix it, which is interesting too. I, I don't know that I've heard a lot of records do that where they kind of suck you into a more intimate feel just with the way that the, the, the instruments they focus on and then kind of expand it back out to be louder, um, which was pretty cool. Um, and I guess the last thing is just his vocals are just, so well fit in the mix like they just with so much going on you would think it'd be hard um for a lot of voice other voices to be able to cut through and hear but like the tone of his voice just sits in this sonic space that is very easy to understand um and really pull out the vocal melody um despite this at times wall of of music underneath it which is you know it makes it I think more accessible um, than maybe some of the other bands that we listen to that, you know, or pushing the boundaries of, you know, noise and layering and get high to use guitars um, because you've always got this very recognizable, easy to understand vocal over top of everything. 
Yeah, to follow up on um, on his vocal, you know, the, the obvious comparison is Neil Young, and I know that Doug Marsh doesn't necessarily love that comparison. But when I was listening to it, really, the, only one of the songs sounded like had a Neil Young vibe, which was Made Up Dreams, had that like loping kind of beat to it that reminded me of like a Crazy Horse 70s Neil Young song. But I was getting a lot of, it was weird because his vocal is so distinct, but then it also, it's got this weird um, like comparison that you can make to say Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips because of that high uh, tone of his voice and that like sort of, it's it sounds like it's on the edge of breaking a lot. And it also has a little bit of Jay Massis, which again, Jay Massis is obviously, you know, doing a lot of guitar jams and, and stretching it out. Now he's usually by himself, whereas this is like you mentioned, like triple guitar attack and he's using a ton of fuzz and distortion on some of his stuff, which, um, this is a little bit more intricate. And the thing you said about them recording it three times really hit home because man, there are some songs like stop the show is like four songs like that are, 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 mashed together in a really bizarre way. imagine like the intricacy of weaving all that guitar stuff and and knowing that Doug Marsh is like behind almost all of that I I would think that he probably demoed it all separately somehow and he's like well this is the the lead part for this song and then this is the 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 rhythm part or this is going to be the extra guitar part I just I can't fathom how he put this together in terms of all the guitar parts. Cause there are, and then, you know, like you said, you lay on, you layer that with cellos and mellotrons and there are some really dramatic sounding sections like velvet waltz. The, there's some, um, I think there's some cello. Let me double check on that song, but I think there's some, yeah. Uh, John McMahon's plays cello on that. And, um, there's some mellotron and it gets really like big and dramatic sounding in that song in a way that I didn't really remember them being um, in comparison to sort of just their guitar jams, you know, where they're where they're just sort of, you know, building the song up and then and then going into an extended jam for a while. And I th- I think the thing that I realized listening to this now is how it you know, this is a 90s album in the sense that like it was a weird sort of 
alternative rock band getting signed to a major label and and it doesn't really make sense in the same way like Jawbox got signed to a major label or, or some of these other bands. But they really managed to make a record that does not sound like anything. And like you can just put this on and it is it fits like if you want to play this, you know, with, Dino, uh, you know, in, in the same uh, playlist as like Dinosaur Jr. or Neil Young or, or those other bands, it's got that like almost timeless feel to it because of the fact that um, it doesn't feel uh, like it doesn't feel it's like it's trying to be an alternative record in the way that so many bands were trying to be alternative records. Also, because I don't think I really knew like there's almost like no personality in a weird way to this record. Like, I don't know what I think I know what Doug Marsh looks like, but I'm not really sure. I've never seen them live. Um, I was, I was at a place where they were playing and I didn't see them. And, um, I don't think I've ever seen a video of them playing. So like it kind of occupies this like weird space where, where the album just exists. Like there's no drama around it. There's no like legacy other than it's like one of the pinnacle guitar rock albums of the nineties. And there's and it's nice because you can kind of go in and just listen to it as opposed to like, you know, you listen to Smashing Pumpkins, you're like, you got to deal with Billy Corgan and his brain and his mouth. And you're like, there's all this baggage involved <laughs> <laughs> and and built to spill is just like floating along. And you and you, every once in a while you go back to the record you're like, wow, this is this is an amazing record. There's so much cool guitar stuff going on. And like you, Untrustable, I don't know when or where I heard that, but I know I heard that song. I don't, I can't imagine there must've been, maybe there was a radio edit of that song. Maybe there's a video for it. Okay. Um, the only other song that I remember that was like a, what was the closing track on, on uh keep it like a secret. The time trap. No, not time trap. Broken it's, chairs. No, Broken maybe, chairs it's not, song. maybe it's not the last song. Are you Hold thinking on. about the plan? The plan? No, um, you were right because he's because oh, he because yeah, yeah. he mentions all those so- all those other songs, right? You know, you were right when we when you said we were all just dust in the wind and that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah, because um, it's got that like kitsch factor because of that because it's like mm-hmm. name checking a bunch of other songs. But this just it, there's no like kitsch factor to this record, which is why I think people maybe pref- prefer it to keep it like a secret. And also there's, you know, there's more extended jams. Those that's a tighter album. And there's just so much space and the record gets to build and ebb and flow in a lot of different interesting ways. And I just really appreciated listening to it just as a, even though it's, you know, a long record, it's only eight songs, but within those eight songs, there are like 15 songs. (laughs) It's not really that there are eight songs. Um, I I think, you just hit on something that I, I think I react to in, um, to them and specifically in this record too, is that this feels like, it doesn't feel like a a reaction against something. So a lot of times I feel like, you know, in the nineties, it was very common for music to be a reaction against something. Like we don't want to be like this or we don't want to be like that. Or we want to mm-hmm. redefine what people think of this or that. This doesn't strike me that way at all. Like, a song like out of sight, like the end ending of that song, you know, 
to me, it sounds like a reinvention of what would be a, you know, a fairly typical 70s, like album oriented classic rock kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a their own interpretation of that and expression of that and not a like reaction against that. So to me, like it, it also helps it uh, hold up. So when you go back to it, you know, you can, right. You're not in that headspace anymore of being like an angsty 20 year old or adolescent, like who maybe can identify with like the rebellion against something. Um, So now when you go back to it, it's just reconnecting and you know, you hear like little bits and pieces here that are like, oh, that was kind of like a little bit of a Beatles kind of melody or use of strings, you know, unless, oh, this is their F you to, you know, rock and roll, which I can appreciate. So when you talked about Smashing Pumpkins, you know, the, right. the, there's a lot just in terms of like when you go back and revisit them, there's a lot of other stuff going on and statements being made that are like maybe no longer relevant or personal to Billy Corgan that I don't care about or right are irrelevant to me. And this doesn't have any of that. Yeah. So, Johnny, the man who brought it to us, what works best for you on this record? Why? why I mean, you've talked about it being, you know, in your comments, a uh, uh, one of the finest. So what works best for you in that respect? You know, Jay touched on so many of the points that I would have made. I, I feel like the guitar work and the guitar parts are so interesting, like slides and pans and pieces that are just for specific moments of specific songs. And yeah, is it, is it improvised? Is it, is it well choreographed? I've seen them nine or 10 times live and I've seen oh, wow. them six members and I've seen them as a trio and each time it's equally fascinating because I'll see them, you'll have three guitarists and each guitar has a, a, a particular part to play in the song. But then when I see them as a trio, I see Marsh working all the guitar parts 
by himself and he'll loop one, he'll play one. Like it's utterly fascinating to see these songs reinterpreted in different formats and hmm. they're all timeless. So I feel this record is so incredible because every time I go back and listen to it, I'm hearing something new for the first time, even though I've listened to the record. God knows how many times. I find this record just ages so well. It's so beautiful to listen to. And with a pair of headphones on or blasting out my car stereo. Yeah, I could imagine that you could listen to this record 10 times and just focus on 10 different things. Mm-hmm. And it would be like a new experience each time um, that there are just, I mean, there's just so many parts. <laughs> so you can just, you know, listen to the one that the guitar that's panned over here and, and you're just going to hear like this, you know, symphony going on of all these different things happening. And, and like Jay, you mentioned, there's so many different like effects going on. And it's 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 interesting because nobody's ever going to put, you know, Doug Marsh that I know of in the pantheon of like, you know, Steve Vai and and those guys, those like technical shredders. But like what he does here is pretty amazing as this basically the sole guitarist. I know that Brett Netson played some guitar on the record, but it's basically one guy layering three different guitar lines, which is a, I don't know how your brain works in terms of doing that, unless you're just, you know, you were sitting at the, at a recording um, studio and actually layering them and figuring out how they all to work. But that to me is, is almost more impressive than, you know, being able to shred through a scale really fast. And, um, and show off technical ability like this. This to me is is on some next level guitar playing that I'm sure, you know. There are others out there capable of it, but I don't think I don't think the ability to craft all these guitar parts also always lines up with people who are able to craft songs like a lot of people can are great guitar players. But if you ask them to, like, write a compelling song, that's the the hard part and there's a lot of really interesting melodies and um there's the the one line in untrustable where he sings god is whoever you're performing for now that's like that's such an interesting line i don't know what it means exactly but i just think that that's a really cool hook it's i don't know if it's a hook but i mean that's what stuck with me in that song and there's a lot of that on this record. There's a lot of like really cool little vocal parts from a guy who's known from for for being a guitar virtuoso, essentially. So. Jay. What didn't work for you on this record? Well, you know, I, I think I listened to it probably four or five times. Um, I think you'd need to at least in 2020 you need to spend more time with it. It can feel portions of some songs can feel a little meandering or slow. I mean, and that is kind of the point. So I'm not necessarily dinging on them because that to me, that is part of what the whole of what it is they're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, in your first couple listens, um, there are you know sections of songs say like stop the show like the first three minutes of that i don't love it's kind of like slow and not really grabbing me but then uh, you know soon after it really builds up and gets big and fuzzy and like the band comes together and like it becomes epic and it from that point forward you know i enjoy it quite a bit so there's just sections here and there um that can be you know these are uh, all five minutes or longer some tracks are close to nine minutes you know there'll be like a two or three minute section of a song where it's um less interesting to me than than another section um but because they kind of you know it all builds off of each other it's kind of like all part of the dynamic you know mm-hmm. um so i guess the only criticism that i say was just you have to give it some time you know and um you know, it's not really designed uh, to maybe be able to fully absorb, at least in 2020, easily. Um, so that would be my biggest criticism is just the, it's, just, it's a little challenging, um, I think, to really kind of get the whole. You have to, like, give it some time, live with the songs, um, kind of get through some of the parts that are maybe not as a little slower or less focused to get to the parts that are because that's part of the dynamic like they do this interesting thing where like the songs almost start to like become so disjointed and even like the way they play it becomes so like a little bit off that when they all come together it like has such a huge impact you know mm-hmm. so when everybody plays the chord together it's like oh shit okay this is huge and then it kind of like breaks down again and everybody you know all the parts kind of start to pull apart and you want to experience that coming back together, but to get there, you kind of have to experience the breaking apart part. Right. Um, so it, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing that I, I would say just, uh, it makes for a, a bit of a challenging, you know, uh, initial listen to get into the whole, the whole thing. And you really have to love guitars. You know, I think we all like really love the guitar as an instrument and like to hear it explored and pushed. And, and I think you really have to, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, appreciate guitars, I think, to uh, to put in the time to kind of get to that next level. Is that a Jag or a Jazzmaster? Jazzmaster. What year? It's, pre- it's pretty. Uh, that's a great question, and I don't know. It cost me $800, I can tell you that much. Oh, so that's not one of those uh, Thurston Moore thrift store finds from 1966 that he uh, he scooped up on the Lower East Side in the 1980s and bought like everyone there was available. And then now they're all worth $10,000. Gotcha. Probably just bullshitting anyway. (laughs) My uh, jazz master is a um, is a Jay Massis uh, Squire version. Mm. It's it's the white with the gold uh, pickguard. And you know what? For a squire. It does the job. I'm not. I'm not complaining. Does it go yep. out of tune easily for you? What? Does it go out of tune easily for you? No. He upgraded the tuning pegs um, on his model, and the um, uh, I forgot what it, the name of the thing is, but like the hardware is all updated, so it was like a little bit more expensive than your standard mm-hmm. uh, Jazzmaster Squire. Um, which would be like, you know, like 200 bucks or whatever <laughs> back in back five years ago. Uh, so it was a little bit more than that. But, man, it it does 
it plays nice. So I'm not complaining. Um, I hear what you're saying, Jay, because I think that, man, it would be hard to get in this record, get into this record, especially now. Like, imagine, you know, earbuds and this record. You're going to it's it's a yep. it's an odd introduction to this. I mean, just this kind of music with, you know, you mentioned about like there is a lot of ebb and f- or there's a lot of uh, falling apart and coming together. There's a lot of quiet building where it's just picking of a, of a clean yeah. electric and it's not immediate. Whereas a lot of stuff that has come since then, um, even the bands that have been inf- influenced by this band are, are, you know, there's, there's more immediacy, I think, I can't think of a band now that could get away with, like you mentioned, like with Stop the Show, like doing that sort of a structure in terms. I mean, I know that's not a single or anything, but even Randy describes Eternity, the opening track that takes a while to get into. And it's a great payoff. But like I said, if you're on Spotify and you listen to the first 30 seconds, you might be like, well, this band is slow and boring. (laughs) Like, what am I listening to here? Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was a guitar rock band. This doesn't sound like Metallica. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I, I I think the point too about just I don't know. I haven't used earbuds in years, but if if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're using earbuds, please stop. <laughs> like this is the type of music we review is just you're not able to hear nearly what you should be, and this is an example of that where you just I don't know I don't think you can get what's going on here and i don't say you have to spend you know ton of money on like headphones and stuff but like just either get let's do it on a decent set of speakers or just get a decent set of like over-the-ear headphones because there's just so much going on um also they do like well they'll shrink the sound like they'll compress it and it'll sound small on purpose you know and then let it expand back out again just through the way they mix it um and those are things that uh you're just not going to hear it with, you know, compressed audio and tiny little earbuds. Um, you're just not going to understand like the complexity of what's going on. So, right. Yeah, I could and totally doing that. that uh, Jay, is that, would that be Phil Eck in production or is that uh, Weinberg when he's mastering? I would think it's in the production. I mean, it sounds like they're putting some of like uh, a good example is track two, the way the drums sound, mm-hmm. right. That tiny, super compressed it almost sounds like a mini mini drum kit or something i would think that that's all done in the as they're you know mixing it or as they're either as they're recording it they're running it through some kind of compressor to to get that small tiny sound or in the mixing uh process they're running it through um, some filters to, to suck it down and make it sound like you know smaller so that then they can kind of phase that out as the mix goes and and bring it back together but it's cool to think about like even, you know, again, doing this record three times, you know, there's the performance part, but then there's actually like a performance to the mixing that's going on. Like, as you listen to this, you can imagine like they're working the, the phasers on all, you know, in the, all of the tracks and bringing things up and down and like adding effects. And like, they're really performing the mix on this record as well, which, I don't know that we can, it's always obvious when you listen to the records, but this one, it's obvious that they're doing that um, and, and bringing the way that they're bringing stuff in and infecting it and pulling it out. So it's as much about that performance as it is the, the band itself to me. 
Um, when you just, love to hear that first or second run through of the songs, yeah, maybe ha having done it three times, it it turned into this epic record that we all know. Mm. Maybe it wasn't that way the first go around. That's a good point because if you got to play with the songs that much, you start to play with well, what can we do dynamically different that we weren't thinking of? Yeah. And if you're driving around, you know, listening to mixes for the third time, you're like, well, you know what? Now I think we could try this here. And yeah, even just little things like that, like, like EQing the drums in a different way than are maybe expected. What's, I think what's interesting is that when I was trying to, you know, there are some bands that I think have taken some aspects of what built to spill we're doing like i think of like early death cab for cutie like there were some aspects of death cab for cutie in the, in the beginning on yeah. um, we have the facts and and you know that but then they transformed into a pop band essentially um but i feel like a lot of the bands like the shinzer have some connections to this band in terms of the way that um the vocals are are not too far off and the structure of some of the songs but it doesn't have that guitar focus the way that this band does mm -hmm. and i i don't know that i was mentioning you know bands that have followed this but i don't know any that any band has from a guitar perspective been able to follow this um that isn't like like i said like like guitar virtuosos yep and so it's that's what I think makes it so interesting and unique because there's a lot yeah. of bands that do work on an expansive level, like you can say like Mercury Rev or or that, but they're not doing the same thing with guitars. Yeah, they're walking a line where it's um, guitar oriented, but it's not somehow in your face. I, I don't know how to say it. Like when you listen to Dinosaur Junior record, I mean, Jim Massis is like. Here here's the guitar effing guitar like yeah. you are not going to ignore this um and yeah there you yeah, go exactly like, <laughs> it is blowing up your ears this is not like that even though it is soaked in every aspect of it in guitar playing you know so yeah it walks this weird line right where it's it doesn't quite step over into like indulgence or which is awesome i love that but it doesn't step over that line into like okay this is a guitar hero kind of space that we're just celebrating loud you know in your face guitar and it's not on the other side which i think what you're describing some of those bands i think i was being probably just a little bit more song oriented like we'll write a song and maybe like not even feature the guitar if they don't think it serves the song they're like mm -hmm. in the space of like no that's the instrument we use to express the song always but it's not to the point where um it's obvious yeah i just i wonder uh you know can a a, a band like this or a um a, a guitar player like doug marsh actually gain the sort of respect and and be in the pantheon of like guitar players the way that you know so many people who are known as guitar players first um are you know like slash you know so you can make yeah. a case that you know slash is either one of the best guitarists or he's rehashing a lot of blues that was already done by aerosmith 
Uh, so he was just sort of, you know, aping on Joe Perry riffs a lot of the time. So what is, where is that, I guess, line? Because Jay Massis is kind of considered a guitar god, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, but it seems like in some respects, the nineties guitar players and we have, maybe we have to do a round table about this, but, (laughs) um, they're not like elevated to that pantheon because they're they, it wasn't as showy, you know. Jay Massis's showiness was overshadowed in some ways because they were just an alternative rock band that had some drama with Lou Barlow getting punched out of the band and you know that kind of stuff. So I wonder if that's ever going to happen for a lot of the. Um, guitar players from the nineties. Cause I, you know, there's, there are some amazing guitar players in terms of technical skill and songwriting ability. Yeah. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things from general audiences, I think there's a lot of nineties guitar players that just get lumped in, um, as being at this point, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you had a signature low, a signature, signature guitar with Fender or Gibson, you're, the same probably at this point as like any eighties guitar player when it comes to pop culture. So, um, right. We can see the differences, but I think it kind of all just at the end of the day ended up getting lumped together. Um, yeah, this record is, um, sits in a very specific place that I don't know. Um, many others do. Maybe it has more to do with like some of the jam bands in terms of how guitar is used than it does with, yeah and and thank god there are no like 14 minute 25 minute long (laughs) jams because that would have i mean you can do that live if you want but don't put that on record that's we don't need that um so this came out in 97 you mentioned johnny that untrustable had a video i can't imagine it was for the full eight minutes and 54 seconds that are on the uh on Good the record video edit for that one <laughs> um but is there really a radio single i mean untrustable's got a hook but i don't know what warner brothers warner brothers was probably like like somebody mentioned in the comments like oh cool we'll send this to college radio yeah, yeah but again it's 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 their tastemakers you know bringing sonic youth to ggc it was i think it was it was as a tastemaker. It was to curate the record label moving forward. Right. Um, you know, Flaming Lips were on Warner Brothers for as long as Built Spill were. And, uh, you know, it's not because of record sales, I don't think, for the most part. It's because they could draw other acts mm-hmm. and maybe nurture other acts. And, uh, you know, ultimately that all blew up in the face with the advent of Napster and everything that came afterwards. But... Uh, it was as a tastemaker. That's why they get on Warner Brothers in the first place. But it just ha- so happens that they end up making their best record first time out for them. Well, what's that's crazy. Great, that's a uh, great point. Built to Spill was on Warner Brothers until 2015. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they put out one, two, three, f- uh, four more albums after this. Well, five more, five more, because keep it like a secret. Well, after this, I I would think like 
after 2000, having bands like this on your, in your catalog is a boom because they're consistently, I mean, this type of band, like that would consistently make music at some sort of, you know, um, cadence and also tour and then have back catalog. I mean, that's, yeah, you don't have to really promote, like it's kind of free money. You know what I mean? If you had a couple of like really solid touring bands with good fan bases still on your roster, you'd be dumb to let them go because like you don't have to give them a ton of money to promote them. You know, you're going to get some return. It's just like, right. That's a good point. And if it lends credibility, like uh, to your point, Johnny, I think that's a great, and maybe that's even a good roundtable conversation because yeah, you just hit on a ton of, of bands that I don't think we've really, talked about that value of having them on the on the label and what that means for credibility when you're trying to sign somebody else right and they go and they look at the roster and they say oh well they got this band this band this band i love those bands we should go there they they know what they're doing that's Mm -hmm. that's huge so let's talk about our ratings and we did get some controversy over at uh, our Patreon page. First, before we reveal the final poll results, results, uh, Jay, where do you land? Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? I'm in a worthy album. Um, like I said, I I think it's all intended to go together, so it's hard to break this up into an EP. I mean, I guess personally, I could go up go at it with a you know razor blade and cut out sections of songs that i think are more challenging or harder mm-hmm. uh, or slower but um you know it's 54 minutes it's not it's it's also a little bit like uh it can be a, a nice listen in terms of like you can leave loose focus like you can do something else for a while and then like a part will come in and it'll kind of pull you back into the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, even for now, like how we listen, most of us are probably listen to music while we work or do something else. Um, it can be a good listen for that um, as an album too. So uh, yeah, I'm going to wear the album. Yeah. I'm not lying on the bedroom floor with my big headphones. <laughs> right. Like, I, like I didn't do that anymore. When I was a kid. Yeah. With my feet up on the bed, looking through liner notes and honey, uh, give me three hours. I'm going to go listen to some music and just lay on the floor <laughs> and stare at the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. That does not happen. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. This works as both a, you can put it on and, and, you know, nod your head and you don't have to pay like perfect attention to it. And then it, it still keeps you engaged or you can just listen to it and like get lost in all of the cool things that are happening. So I'm also at a worthy album for this. Um, I've probably been at a worthy album since 1997 or not 1997 since uh, 2000 or so when, when uh, I got introduced to it and um, yeah, like to me this and, and keep it like a secret are just a, such a great pair of, of records um, from the late nineties and really you know, like you said, it's not reacting against anything at Jay. It's, it's really of its own world. And that's what makes it so interesting, um, in comparison to what was going on at this time. So Johnny shock us. (laughs) Two thumbs up. Okay. (laughs) I was hoping you were the better EP vote just to throw people (laughs) off because 
there was one vote for I think I think the one vote for a better EP. Everybody else voted worthy album was ninety two to eight. Hopefully that's not the only uh, result that ends up ninety two to eight this uh, this year. Love uh, <laughs> some other things to turn out that way, but uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, so a vast majority of our folks said worthy album at, at Patreon. Um, whoever said better EP, uh, look out. Johnny's coming for you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Johnny, for bringing this. Um, my pleasure. We got, we've now knocked out two built to spill records. This enters the very small list of bands that have two records reviews. It joins Nirvana and Manson and Paw. Nobody expected Paw to be there, but Paw's there. <laughs> and, Come on, that's uh, so us. Yeah. Um, so thank you, and start thinking about your uh, t- your twenty twenty one pick. Uh, you've you've tapped out the uh, you know two of the big ones here within Utero and and Perfect from now on. I'm curious to see what that what the next one's going to bring. You know what? Do you, do you want to a little spoiler alert? Hold on. Oh, he's <laughs> going to pull it from his CD rack. This is excellent. Oh, we won't say anything. Only the people who watch the video <laughs> will be able to see what that was. But that was a, you know what? And he's wearing a shellac shirt, which is, uh, you know, on brand right now. Appreciate that. Um, good pick. We'll see if I don't think has that ever been in a poll, Jay? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And that's strange, you know, because that's a pretty important record for the 90s. Yeah. I so. feel like I feel like this the one after that gets more note conversation. Yeah. But yes, it is definitely a recently important record. What's that? Have you listened to it recently? Mm-hmm. Celebrity skin or or bad dot <laughs> Live through this. Cut that out, Tim. I mean, um, shellac. It's a secret. Keep it like a secret. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Let's uh, let's say uh, thanks to all our voters at Patreon and and people who commented. Uh, If you would like to join us at Patreon, you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to join the union. It's where you also can check out our box newsletter, which is delivered every weekend with new reviews of albums, books, and movies related to 80s and 90s music. Uh, Interesting stuff coming out every week. Singles. EPs, albums, constantly new stuff dropping. We're not even aware of it. And then somebody says, hey, did you hear about this? And we're like, cool. It's in the it's now in the list. We're up over. I think we got like 250 releases that are in that. a couple of uh, books in the last couple of weeks, a couple of autobiographies that came yep. out. Right? Yep. I would like to read them, but I'm a very slow reader. And I've only managed to read one book that was relevant to the podcast this year. I'm waiting for the technology. It'll just let me absorb all of the information. In the like book. the matrix where you just like, <laughs> it just is automatically uploaded into your brain and you're like, now I know Kung Fu. 
Yeah. And I now I've read the account. Rob Halford book. I got an audible account like a year ago and I'm just like, I just keep adding things and I've like listened to portions of them. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I ever going to have time to listen to all these? Just not I know. Enough time. It's not enough time, Jay. Um, so box newsletter, you can go to uh, dig me out to sign up for that. And then also if you want to suggest an album for one of our polls, go to digmeoutpodcast.com, go to the suggest an album page and you can submit a record. Tell us why. And we will put into a poll in the future. We have quite the list uh, built up. We're going to spit them out eight every month. And um, always interesting combinations of stuff. We, I believe our last poll was a tie and it went into a, a runoff. Always fun when that happens. Always love to do extra work to make sure. <laughs> it was almost a three or three or four way tie. It was, it was close. Wow. Lastly, Apple podcast is where you go to leave some positive feedback about the podcast. If you have positive feelings towards us, we hope you do. Uh, Johnny, thanks once again for coming back. Always a pleasure. Thank you guys. Uh, for JM Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.